when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there, and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. That's where we look ahead to some of the events, at least, that are going to be moving markets and shaping investment decisions too, even if it is only when to order your foreign currency. I'm Robert Miller. That means looking to the east and looking to the west. In Europe, Britain has started the formal negotiations for exiting the European Union. So better to catch up with than Bruno Waterfield, the Times correspondent in Brussels. And across the Atlantic in New York, we're joined on the line by James Dean, our US business editor. Warm welcome to you both. Uh, Bruno in Brussels, let me start with you. But first, we've got a clip here of Michel Barnier, the uh, chief EU negotiator, at a meeting he gave after he'd uh, had his first talks with the Brexit minister, David Davis. Just have a quick listen to this. Our aim is to have one week of negotiations every month and use the time in between to work on proposals and exchange them. In the first step, the negotiation rounds will be broken down into three groups. Citizen rights, the single financial settlement, and other separation issues. These groups will report back to their respective principles during each negotiating week. Bruno, now that the talks have started, what's the feeling? Just set the scene for us over there and how Britain's position is regarded as we know it so far. It's worth looking at it on two levels. The talks that have begun uh, this week, which will continue um, over the summer, there's uh, another meeting on the 17th. There'll be another cycle beginning on the 28th of August. They're going to be very technical. So it's meeting officials in negotiating working groups. Some of them know each other really well. They've been sitting across uh, negotiating tables from each other, sometimes for 10 years, sometimes for 20 years. They're all really well prepared. They're all sort of fiendishly clever civil service types. So that's all going to go pretty well. Um, and the fact that no one briefed, uh, you know, what they were talking about on Monday shows that there's a bit of trust being built there. And then you've got the really important level, the higher level, the political uh, level, and that's still really up in the air. I mean, after Theresa May's disastrous election, which has horrified people in Europe, not because they particularly care about her, but they care about, remember that concept, a strong and stable government? Well, they care about strong and stable governments because they're easier to do deals with. At that higher level, there is confusion about what Brexit means. Does Brexit uh, mean a very close relationship to the single market and lots of jurisdiction of the uh, European 
court of justice? Is Britain going to ask to effectively stay inside the customs uh, union with a special arrangement for a transitional period of two, three, five, seven years? Will a transitional period become a permanent period? So everyone now wants to know what she thinks. And at a Brussels dinner on Thursday night, they will ask her um, where she is at. James, just from from your perspective over there in in America, Liam Fox was discussing the possible trade talks too at the same time that David Davis was in Brussels. Are we talking parallel universes? What's the feeling over there about what Bruno was just talking about or is it just too far away? I think we're in a very different place over here right now in terms of US-UK trade deal talks. I, I mean, it kind of goes back to the point that Donald Trump's had a, spent quite a lot of time trying to fill senior posts in his administration. Uh, one of those senior posts was the U.S. trade representative, who is effectively America's foremost trade negotiator. And that post was only filled fairly recently. So, yes, earlier this week, Liam Fox met with uh, the guy, Robert Lighthizer, for the first time. This is very, very early steps. This is just like first meetings between them. But they did say that they would begin kind of early stage trade talks next month. I mean, obviously, they can't conclude any deal while Britain's still in the EU. That's against the rules. But they can have these early talks without perhaps going too far in terms of, you know, they wouldn't be able to show each other draft texts of deals or anything like that. I mean, meanwhile, back in the UK, and this is a fairly recent announcement, Britain has actually appointed its own chief trade negotiator who will lead on trade deals with non-EU countries, because obviously the Department for Exit in the EU is dealing with the EU. So the Department for International Trade now has this uh, New Zealand chap called Crawford Faulkner. He's extremely well-known in trade circles. He's very well-respected. Um, he's a New Zealander. He worked at the World Trade Organization. He's also very bullish about Britain's prospects after Brexit. I think he said that the country was a sleeping giant in world trade. So there did seem to be a few issues with the DIT appointing a senior trade negotiator, but they seem to have been ironed out now that we have this chap, Crawford Faulkner. But as I say, you know, all of this is in the context that while the UK may be making its first steps with the US in terms of sorting a trade deal, obviously US in terms of trade flows is Britain's second biggest trading partner after the EU. So it's an incredibly important deal. But as I said, and as Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, has made very clear, Britain needs to sort out its deal with the EU before it can sign any kind of agreement with the US. That's what I wondered, Bruno, over there. We've, we've heard this before, haven't we, that Europe says you've got to sort something out. If we start doing trade deals, some have suggested with other Commonwealth countries, with New Zealand and some of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, is that going to be a problem for Europe or are they going to respect the fact that we've got to go on with life afterwards or they're going to insist, concentrate on the EU negotiations first, then don't do your trade deals elsewhere? Well, I think they're even more confused than that because you've got Philip Hammond at his Banchon House speech saying that uh, he wants, certainly for a transitional period, for Britain to effectively remain within the EU's uh, customs union. And now if Britain did remain effectively within the EU's uh, customs union, which applies to goods, then it can't negotiate free trade deals that apply to goods on the world stage because the whole point of having a customs union is you have an external tariff and it means that those the countries that are within it can't pursue their own uh, what's called in EU jargon commercial policy. So the, the EU is now really confused because they're not quite sure what Britain wants 
And that decision, particularly about customs union, completely comes before, if you like, any discussions or, 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 or any negotiations that Britain can have with other trading partners. And think of it from the American point of view as well, or the Japanese point of view. If Britain can't make up its mind on customs union and the EU, how are you going to have a trade negotiation with Britain? It can apply to services, yes, but it can't apply to goods. And, you know, actually, uh, most of global trade is still in goods. James, I mean, what's, what's your view on that in America? Are they as bemused as Bruno and people in Brussels? The general election result um, was certainly a surprise. It probably, uh, I mean, it, it probably didn't help matters a huge amount. But I mean, to be completely honest, you know, there's still the same faces in the government that are going to be talking to the US about the trade deal. So, you know, inspector personnel, it's not a huge change. You know, obviously, Liam, Liam Fox is, is still there. And um, as I say, we've got the, the, new, the New Zealand trade chap now who is going to also help push these deals through. So, as I say, it's very much different over here because the EU talks were always slated to start at a certain time. Then the election result happened and then it was all up in the air. Whereas with the US deal talks, we're always going to be further down the line, you know, kind of post an EU deal. So I think it's a kind of a slightly different situation over here. It's more, we're going to wait and see what happens in the coming months. Bruno, I wondered, we've got so many ongoing projects with the European Union that they've invested. I'm thinking here of the bigger ticket items, you know, motorways and, and other bits of infrastructure. Is there a feeling that we can come to an agreement on that? Or is there actually going to be some sort of hiatus where investors are going to be left wondering which way to jump? Investors are worried because the possibility of this much talked about cliff edge in Brexit negotiations, including customs checks, could disrupt supply chains. So if you're going to take an investment decision, that could be quite important to you. So you might delay that investment decision or not take that decision if um, if it looks like the supply chain is going to be disrupted. You've also got potentially German companies like BMW have £2 billion worth of investment, say 1,000 jobs in Britain that might rethink that if Britain is not inside the single market and if the negotiations don't go well. So there is this whole area of uncertainty um, around the future in terms of these negotiations. On top of that, you have you know, European funding, which has been used for um, projects um, in Britain. But the fact remains that Britain is what's called a net contributor in the sense that it puts more into the EU budget than it draws out of it. So on a purely technical level and a sort of logical level, the Treasury can easily make up those shortfalls. I think it's the uncertainty around issues, the things that Philip Hammond has been talking about, what relationship you have with the single market and the dreaded customs union that are far more anxiety creating for investors. And James, over there on Wall Street, what is the view? Are they just as worried about this talk about cliff edges that Bruno's referred to? Yeah, I think certainly certainly anyone who's got large investment flows towards the UK and the EU is worried. Um, nobody wants that scenario. A lot of the US businesses as well still very much make most of their money internally in the country. So the effect might not be uh, quite as bad as on, say, I don't know, a large international company based in London. But the worries are here as well. And they'll be watching the talks in Brussels just as closely as they'll be watching the uh, UK-US talks over here. 
Well, I suspect it's going to be a very busy time for Bruno, particularly. Uh, James, can I ask you, can we switch now to Google? Obviously, I'll bring Bruno in a minute, but Google, huge American company, uh, we are told that shortly it faces a heavy fine over complaints about advertising from European and American competitors. Seven-year investigation by the European Commission. We're told that the fine could be as much as a billion. Just put us in the picture about what this is and, and what it could mean. The European Commission has been has been going after Google for quite some time now, and there's uh, it's looking at um, three cases against Google. So. The one that we're expected to hear about first and the one we're expected to uh, hear about a fairly big fine against Google is the Google Shopping case. So obviously it's a competition case. This is to do with Google Shopping, which is a, one of Google's products, which essentially shows, say if you type in, you know, you want to buy a kettle, you type in a kettle and maybe a brand, you'll get some results on your Google results page and up the top there might be Google Shopping box, which will have some suggestions. What the Commission is worried about is that that Google search box is kind of more prominent than others. So, say, other um, shopping comparison sites, their results will be shown further down. Essentially, what the Commission said is that that gives Google an unfair advantage. It's abusing its dominant position in the market, and it's going to levy a fine. Now, the Commission can actually levy a fine as much as, I think, 10% of global turnover. So the fine could be actually well above a billion dollars. But yes, yeah, something in the region. I mean, the, the, the record fine, I think, so far was, was against Intel, which was worth $1.4 billion at the time. So people are expecting a, a fine certainly larger than that. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I, I think the idea is at the moment that this fine will come before the end of August. But as with anything, um, we'll have to wait and see. Bruno, are they being draconian in this or is it just something if they do find against it, it's perfectly fair? And I was just wondering, of course, if, if a big American company like Google is fined such an eye-watering amount, is it not likely to bring the real Donald Trump back onto Twitter, raising the flag for American companies being beaten up by nasty European commissioners? Uh, well, I think the, the Americans will not be happy with it uh, across the board. I mean, it's not just the Trumps. Um, uh, said that um, they're not happy with it. Um, this is a political decision. All big competition decisions uh, are political. Google is firmly um, in the EU side. And actually, this case, the, the retail case, is one of the most unusual in the sense that you don't have to be a tech competition wizard to realise there are some big other online retailers out there, Amazon and eBay, just for starters. So lots of people do say, well, you know, hang on. Um, how dominant is Google's market? Maybe it does privilege its own businesses above others, but the online retail market seems quite competitive at the moment. So the commission is actually going to have to make a really good case if it goes for a big fine. You raised the prospect about Donald Trump coming on to to Twitter to maybe, you know, raise, raise the flag for American companies abroad. But I mean, you know, as Bruno said, this is this is a political decision. It's a protectionist decision. And obviously, Donald Trump is quite pro-protectionist. So he may well come out on Twitter to defend them, but he'd be quite hypocritical if he does so. Bruno, a final thought from you. I mean, do you think it could spark some sort of trade retaliation, do you feel? Or is there an acceptance that, well, American companies also complained about Google? In the past, in, in this world of competition regulators, particularly on cartels and market dominance, the EU and the American competition regulators have sort of moved 
um, hand in hand. So if there was to be some kind of coordinated sanctions or pressure on Google to um, open up its sort of uh, advertising and searches from both the Americans and the Europeans, I think it would diffuse this allegation um, that the Europeans are going for an American uh, company. And I think while that doesn't happen, um, that allegation will linger. And I guess, you know, people have long-ish memories and remember that um, the Commission doesn't always, like a lot of bureaucracies, get it right um, on uh, technology. So it was sort of regulating uh, Microsoft in terms of browsers at a time when the market already and competition already was was generating you know new browsers like uh, Firefox and of course Google's Chrome. All right, well, thank you both very much. There's lots to keep us occupied there. And remember, you can keep up to date with all those stories uh, and the rest of the financial news and analysis uh, online, on your phone or tablet, and in the paper. And if you'd like to become a subscriber, then just sign up at thetimes.co.uk. That'll also entitle you to our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins from the business editor, Richard Fletcher. If you want to hear us weekly on a regular basis, just subscribe through iTunes. And my great thanks to Bruno Waterfield over there in Brussels, very busy, and also James Dean on Wall Street. Thank you both. They're on Twitter, so do follow them. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time. 